For those of you who are visiting with us, we have been working our way for quite some time now through the book of Acts. We are in Acts chapter 20, beginning with verse 28, and we'll continue through the end of the chapter this morning. We believe that the Word of God is the inspired, inerrant, and true Word of the living and true God. So please pay careful attention to God's Word. Beginning with verse 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which He obtained with His own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how He said... It is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Let's pray. Father, I pray now that you would add your blessing to the reading of your word and that you would build us up in our faith and that uh, you would help us uh, to uh, grow in the grace of our Lord Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. Just to remind you uh, what's happening here, the Apostle Paul had spent three years in uh, the city of Ephesus teaching, um, and a great revival had broken out in Ephesus. Many people, not only in Ephesus, but in the surrounding um, towns and even throughout that whole little area of southwest Asia, um, were coming to, to know the Lord. Then Paul boarded a ship, went through Europe um, on a fundraising tour, um, and now he is on his way back, and he has stopped off, and he has asked that the, the elders of the Ephesian church come and meet him so that he can give them one final charge um, and tell them, uh, remind them, of how important God's Word is, how important they are to the Ephesian church, uh, because ravenous wolves, symbolically speaking, are going to come in amongst the flock. Uh, rather, um, not literal wolves, but people who are going to come in and try and deceive um, the Christians and, um, and drag them away. And so he wants to meet with them and give them this final reminder. So in effect, uh, what we are reading this morning is Paul's charge to the Ephesian elders. We're going to start in verse 28, but I want you to back up to verse 17. 
in chapter 20. And I want you to listen as I read it as it was originally written uh, in the Greek. And I want to see if you were able to pick out a couple of words here that will be helpful uh, for us as we move forward with this passage. So Acts chapter 20, the, the first part of verse 17 reads like this. Apodetes miletu pimpsas ace efeson metacalesato tus presbuterus tes ecclesias. I don't know if you're able to pick out a couple of the words. Um, ecclesias, have you ever heard of ecclesiastical matters? And when you, what, is, what, is, what do you think of when you think of ecclesiastical matters? Or ecclesiology? Well, these are things relating to the church. The reason this crazy word ecclesiastical uh, has come into being is because that's the Greek word for church. Um, ekklesias is a compound, a compound word, ek, kaleo. It means the called out ones. So you as a member of the church are a called out one. A called out one from what? Well, from the world. You've been called out from the world uh, to be now in the body of Christ. And then there's this other word, Presbuteros, um, and I don't know again if you were able to pick this out a little harder than Ecclesiastes than uh, Ecclesias, but it's the word uh, from which we derive Presbyterian, and this word is the word for elder. So directly. From the word presbuteros, we get the word Presbyterian. So you would then be able to surmise, if you didn't know already, that Presbyterians assign some significant importance to this idea of elders. So then what is the significance of the elders? Why do we so emphasize this concept of elders that we have named our entire denomination uh, in in uh, in accordance with this one word. Well, this word elder speaks to our view of church government. The church is ruled uh, by Jesus Christ through His Word and Spirit. But Christ, we learn in His Word, has assigned to men to oversee the church and help assure that the church is staying true to His Word. Uh, These men that uh, have this charge under the oversight of Jesus Christ are called in the Bible elders. I am an elder. I have the designation of being a teaching elder, so I guess it is um, nice that God gave me these premature uh, gray hairs. I look a little more the part um, and have looked the part for some years, certainly before I felt old. Uh, Now I'm feeling old. Um, 
We also have uh, elders here in the congregation. We call them ruling elders. Jim Eggert is a ruling elder. Larry Gillespie, uh, David Crabtree, Dell Patton, Lee Baird. These are all elders that are prevalent, presently serving on the session. We also have, have Alan McLaughlin and Joe Bethany, who are elders, even though they are not presently serving on the session. We also have other elders who have for lack of a better word, officially retired from, uh, from serving as an elder, even though they still have the office and, uh, and do many things that, that elders do. Uh, Rip Darden, um, Deal Evans, Bill Sherman are all elders. Actually, Bill Doyle, even though he has moved away, is also um, a ruling elder. We even have a strange bird here in the congregation. We, um, uh, Ed Allen has been ordained as an elder in a previous uh, PCA church, but now he's serving with us as a deacon. He was ordained as a deacon and an elder, I guess, at his last church. Um, so he still has the office of elder in our denomination, even though he is serving as a deacon here. We also have other teaching elders in our congregation. Uh, Warren Bridgman is an, a teaching elder um, ordained in our denomination. We have other teaching elders um, here in our congregation who are serving, uh, who have served uh, in other denominations. All that to say is we have elders here in this church and under the the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ these elders um, rule according to God's word. What this means is the pastor is not the primary authority in the church nor is the congregation the primary authority in the church, nor is the denomination the primary authority in the church. The primary authority here at Westminster Presbyterian Church, uh, under, of course, God's word, is the session. Um, And this differs from congregational church government or Episcopal church government. A congregational uh, form of church government is a pure democracy. Um, The power flows up from the congregation. And so I remember, I grew up as a Baptist, uh, any decisions we made as a congregation we would have to make together. We would have once a month on Sunday nights a business meeting. And if we bought new trash cans for the kitchen, the entire congregation would have to vote on it because it was an expenditure of money. And, and so every, every um, decision like that, uh, the whole congregation had to participate in. That gets a little bit difficult to manage, and so what ends up happening is a lot of the authority is delegated to the pastor. So the, the authority comes up, it gets hard to manage, and then it, is, it resides in the pastor and comes back down. Um, in, Episcop- in an Episcopal church, this is a hierarchy of... Um, of church government, where the power flows down, so you have uh, like bishops and and things like that, where the power comes down toward the congregation. The, the bishop, if the bishop wants to move a pastor out of his pulpit, he can simply move the pastor out of the pulpit. Um, 
and uh, and they make a lot of those decisions. Um, the Roman Catholic Church has a hierarchical or episcopal form of government, as does, of course, the episcopal uh, denomination. As Presbyterians, we have a representative form of government. The power flows up from the congregation in that the congregation elects elders and elects pastors. Um, but to for pastors then to represent them, and uh, or pa- the, the elders to represent them, and we could say a whole lot more about this. But I wanted to say all this as a foundation for what we're going to look at as we come to verse twenty-eight. We looked at verse seventeen in the Greek. Listen to what verse twenty-eight says. In the Greek, and this is just the first phrase of verse 28. See if you can pick out any words here in particular. It says, Pros acute peotois kai ponte to poineo in o humas to penuma. Tahagion Egeto Episcopus. For those of you, you might have been able to pick out Pneuma, Spirit, um, Hagias, Holy, if you knew any of the Greek. Um, but the word that stands out here is the word Episcopus, from which we get the word Episcopal. Well, if the word Episcopal shows up in the original Greek, shouldn't we be Episcopal rather than Presbyterian? Well, or some form of of the two? What's happening here? Uh, You don't see the word Episcopal in your English translation because they translate it overseer. And here's the point of all of the Greek, and I'm sorry to belabor it, The elders in verse 17 are the episcopus um, of verse 28. Some of your translations have translated instead of overseers, you have it translated as bishops. So an elder is a bishop. So our ruling elders could also be called bishops. Um, I could be called a bishop. But the idea here is that they are overseers. And it speaks of their function rather than their title and power. Uh, There's no evidence of a hierarchical form of government. The elders derive their power from Jesus Christ uh, and they are recognized by the church you vote on them they then serve uh, representative um, they represent you and uh, and have that power but uh, there is no hierarchy and just real quickly if I can take you back to Acts 15 remember Acts 15 they had to make decisions um, about how they were going to treat the Gentile church the apostles were unable to make that decision unilaterally Um, even Peter and Paul were unable to make those decisions unilaterally the entire church the plurality of elders which included apostles and elders 
made this made these decisions uh, together. Um, and so, if there was a hierarchy, then Peter could have said to the church, "This is the way we're going," but they didn't. So, what does all this mean? Elders, you are bishops. And Paul gave the elders a specific charge that I must give you this morning. But I'm not speaking just to the elders here. I'm speaking to everyone. Every one of you who has a position of oversight uh, has something to hear this morning. Parents, you have oversight of your children. Fathers, husbands, you have oversight in your family. Um, all who have who exercise oversight have something to hear this morning. And the first thing that I want you to hear, the first thing that Paul wants you to hear in verse 28, is that you need to pay special attention to yourselves. Look at verse 28. He says here in this first phrase, pay careful attention to yourselves. John MacArthur says an effective ministry is not merely outward activity. Rather, an effective ministry is the overflow of a rich, deep relationship with God. And so, if you are going to be effective in whatever ministry you have, whether you're a pastor like I am, or a ruling elder, or a parent, or a spouse or a citizen in this country who is living as a Christian citizen, you must pay special attention, first of all, to yourself. John Owen, in speaking about pastors, but I think the application also goes more general, John Owen said, A minister may fill his pews, his com- he may fill his communion role, he may fill the, the mouths of the public, but what that minister is on his knees in secret before God Almighty, that he is and no more. In other words, pay careful attention to yourself. How is your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you devoted to Him? Or do you do some outward activities for God, but yet inwardly, secretly, you're living for yourself? Richard Baxter, again talking to pastors, he's a Puritan um, that lived in the 1600s. He said, Take heed to yourselves, lest you live in those sins which you preach against in others, and lest you be guilty of that which you daily condemn. Will you make it your work to magnify God, and when you have done, dishonor Him as much as others? Will you proclaim Christ's governing power and yet rebel yourselves? Will you preach His laws and then willfully break them? And he goes on for probably two more pages like this. Personal holiness is the requirement of true and and powerful spiritual leadership. It is not just outward holiness that people can see on Sunday mornings uh, and that you can perform in your own strength. Remember the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 3? He talked about all his, his outward holiness that people could see and he said he counted it as all rubbish because in God's eyes that's exactly what it was. Pure 
rubbish. Or should I say impure rubbish? I don't know if I've ever seen any garbage or rubbish that's pure. So impure rubbish. But he counted it all rubbish. Because it was simply outward. And it was not inward. It was not flowing from his heart. So let me ask you. Are you paying careful attention to yourselves? Does your inward life match your outward actions? Does your secret life match up with your public life on Sunday mornings? And I am speaking to myself as well as to the elders and to the deacons and to the fathers, to the mothers to the husbands, to the wives, to the men, the women, and the children this morning. Are you paying careful attention to your life? Does your outward life spring and overflow from your relationship with Jesus Christ? If you are doing great things for the church or great things for other people, yet are living in disobedience to God, the great things that you are doing for the church will not pass muster on the day of judgment. And then the Apostle Paul says, after you pay careful attention to yourself, because that is foundational, also pay careful attention to all the flock which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Verse 28 again. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which He obtained with His own blood. The picture here is of a shepherd watching over his flock. And Paul is highlighting this one specific activity of the elders um, in, uh, in verses 29 and 30. And this one specific uh, area is watching over the flock because there's going to be ravenous wolves that come in and try and destroy the flock. As I was thinking about this week, thinking about this this week, the, the picture that kept rolling through my mind was a wily e coyote, you know, dressing up like a sheep, trying to get in amongst the wolves and and steal away the uh, the sheep. Um, and he was unsuccessful. But that's a cartoon. These people will come and try and get inside the flock. They don't know that they are doing the devil's work. But they will come in and the elders always must be on guard. So verses 29 and 30. Paul says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. It's a funny thing as you read the book of Ephesians and read it and compare it with the other letters that Paul wrote. Paul wrote to the Colossians and almost the entire book of Colossians is watch out for these false heresies. And to other, he's saying watch out uh, for, for false heresies. But then you come to, to Ephesians and he says nothing in his letter which was written later uh, than where he's speaking here. 
And there's nothing about false, uh, false doctrine. Why is that? Because he gave them this warning and they learned, they, they heeded his warning. Now, what they ended up doing was they became so focused on guarding the flock that they were not as loving as they should have been. So in chapter 4, he's reminding them, be loving. Remember, keep the unity of the flock together. He tells them, reminds them of the spiritual warfare that they'll have to go through. But he says, make sure that you maintain your love. And it's really interesting, uh, much later, I think even after Paul had died, the book of Revelation was written. You remember those seven letters that were written to the churches in Asia Minor? One of the letters that was written was written to the Ephesians. And Jesus uh, is speaking to the Ephesians. So listen to what Jesus says to the Ephesians. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works. I know your toil and your patient endurance and how you cannot bear with those who are evil but have tested those who call themselves an apostle who call themselves apostles and are not and have found them to be false notice that paul warned that people are going to fierce wolves are going to come in jesus here in in the book of revelation is saying you have been obedient here and have have uh, found those who uh, have slipped in among you and you have rooted them out. And so Jesus goes on in in, uh, Revelation 2, I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from which you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at last. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstands from its place, unless you repent yet you have the, yet this you have you also hate the works of the Nicolaitans which I also hate he who has an ear let him hear what the spirit says to the churches to the one who conquers I will grant to eat from the tree of life which is in the paradise of God they were vigilant for truth they were on guard to make sure orthodoxy was secure but in their vigilance they had um, they had become encrusted under the hard shell of protecting the truth. They had become less loving than what they had originally had been. And so he reminds them, Jesus reminds them, be loving toward each other. In your love for the truth, don't stop loving each other. And it seems like that dichotomy is a constant temptation. People who are uh, vigilant for truth, valiant for truth, can struggle with being loving. And people who are loving, sometimes it seems as if they uh, become less concerned about truth. Keep both, Jesus says. So elders, you are overseers of the flock. Elders, you are also shepherds. Uh, Again, verses 29 uh, through 31. Pay careful attention to all the flock. Each soul that Jesus died for is of the utmost importance to God. Look at that last phrase. Oh, I should get 
back out of the book of Revelation and back to Acts. Look at that last phrase in verse 28. Um, the Bible, they didn't have highlighters like we have highlighters. And so they would use highlighters um, uh, rhetorically rather than a little yellow pencil. And so listen to how God highlights this passage uh, so that the Ephesian elders will understand understand, um, how important this is. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. There's the highlighter. Jesus died for the flock. Jesus died for the church. How can we not pay? Not, how can we not pay careful attention? And this careful attention is is um, is is defined in verse thirty-one. Paul says that he wept over the church and admonished them. He taught them. He corrected them. He loved them so much that he would not allow them to continually to keep simply going their own way. He would admonish them, even if it was difficult, even if it cost Paul tears. Elders, also, you are gods with an apostrophe S. Not that you are divine, only... Uh, David the deacon is divine Um, but uh, spelled differently but elders what I'm saying is you belong to God again look at verse 28 pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers I struggle with this because I am tempted to think I'm just west from Palmetto, Georgia and and I and I and I lose sight of of the calling that God has given me and the importance of that and the staggering uh, responsibility of that. God, before the creation of the world, called me to be a pastor. Ruling elders before the creation of the world, God ordained. That even though your husbands, fathers, employees of whatever vocation God has given you, more than anything else, you were overseers of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. And it is God who has given you this calling. So, you carry out your ministry under His guidance. You carry out His ministry under His power. Look at verse 32. Now I commend you to God and to the word of His grace. I commend you to God. What He's saying, He's reminding the elders, I'm commending you to God because you belong to God. Secondly, I'm commending you to the word of His grace because it is His word that is your guide. It is His grace that is your power. God will give you everything you need to carry out this calling. And He will, continuing to look at verse 32, He will build you up. So He says, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. 
He will build you up. And then also, he says, he will give you that inheritance. Being an elder, being an officer, to include the deacons here in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ can be very difficult at times. And it will cost tears. But glory awaits. Your inheritance awaits. In fact, Paul says in verse 35, I worked very hard. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said it is more blessed to give than to receive. He worked very hard. He gave of himself sacrificially. And he gave even more than could have been expected of him for the weak. He says in verse 35, But Jesus counts giving sacrificially as a blessing, so he counted his giving sacrificially as a blessing to, um, as well. In conclusion, I want to underscore the fact that Jesus Christ gave his blood for the church. If he is willing to die for the church, what could be more important than that? And we can know that God is at work in His church. In fact, we just read from Revelation, Jesus walks amongst the lampstands. He's walking amongst the lampstands of Westminster Presbyterian Church, evaluating us. I wonder what He would say. Thankfully, He loved us so much that He died for the church. Let's pray. Father, We thank you that Jesus Christ, who is the foundation of the church, also is living and active in the church, walking amongst the the candlesticks. And we thank you for his great love with which he loves us. And I pray that in every point we would be submissive to his word. In every point it would be our aim to please him as He is at work in us, building us up, working in all those who are sanctified, all those who are holy in Jesus. We pray in His name. Amen.